Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. Good evening. Uh, it is really good to be here again and sharing the word. And um, yeah, a real privilege um, to do that and to get into the word with you guys tonight. Um, if you're new to City Light, something that we like to do is to work through some books of the Bible as we uh, grow together as a family, as a community. And last week, John Harris uh, kicked us off into First John. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to be here, uh, speak to Tran. He'll give you a copy of the sermon. You can like, have a listen. Um, but just as a bit of a recap and a bit of a context for what we're going to talk about tonight, um, we're looking at First John. If you've got a Bible on your phone or there's pew Bibles as well, feel free to follow along. First um, John is, is anonymous. We don't actually... No, like the, the, the writer of First John doesn't say, I am, you know, X, Y, Z, writing to you. Um, we have come to see that this is John uh, through Second and Third John, the, uh, the, the other letters in the collection. Um, and we also can see that the language and style is very similar to that of the Gospel of John, which leads us to the conclusion, um, a general conclusion, that they are all written by either John, who is the beloved disciple referred to in the Gospels, uh, the son of Zebedee, or this guy John the Elder, who we come to know in these, um, in, in these epistles, these letters. They may in fact be the same guy, we don't know for 100% sure, but nevertheless we press on. This is John. It's important to note the relationship between the Gospel of John uh, and the, the people to whom John now writes. We can and should presume that the people know what was developed and published in the Gospel that John wrote. And so where we're at now, John is late in his years and he oversees a number of Christian communities, uh, probably in Ephesus. And these communities are mostly made up of Jewish Christians we see that there's been some sort of crisis in the community. Um, the second and third letters really speak to that and show us what's going on and, and that kind of paints the picture um, for the situation that John's actually writing to, which has caused him to write First John, which is what we're looking at. The situation is this, that some uh, people have broken away from the church community and they've done so under a false interpretation of the message of Jesus. John talked a little bit last week uh, about what was later developed as uh, Gnosticism and Docetism, um, which we'll look at a little bit sort of as, as their uh, core beliefs that, that are actually false, um, but we won't look too much into how they developed. So John writes this letter with two main goals, primarily pastoral um, he's encouraging the Christians as they wrestle uh, with the fact that they have salvation, but they also have this problem of sin in this life and, and the, the wrestling that goes on for them as Christians, as individuals, but also as a community of dealing with their salvation and the sin that is in the world and, and of the world. And the second reason, or the second goal that John has in writing, is to expose the errors in the false teachers and the false teaching. And that's a little bit of what we're going to look at tonight. 
So the, the, the letter begins with an introduction that, which again, John Harris preached on last week. Um, similar to John's prologue in the Gospel, um, where we're looking at God, who in John's eyes refers to the Father and the Son, so God the Father and Jesus, who is the Son, and that they, or, or we, John um, and the Apostles, want to share a message with you or with us, who are the next generation of Jesus' followers. And this message brings the new generation, brings us into fellowship with the Father and the Son. So tonight we're looking at uh, chapter 1 of 1 John from verses 5 onwards. Before we do that, I'd like to pray. So why don't you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you... Uh, for John and the churches that he uh, led in and oversaw. I pray tonight as we unpack your word that you speak to each of us, that you guide us, you guide our hearts, you guide my words, uh, that as we seek to grow together, seek to learn and be challenged uh, together tonight, that you speak to each of us, Lord. Uh, Just protect this time and protect the words that come out of my mouth. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to read from verse 5, so read with me. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So John begins this section with a statement in verse 5 that God is light. We'll read it again. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. I don't know about you, but I wonder if you've ever been laying in bed and morning has broken and there's just been the tiniest of cracks in the blind or the curtain, and all of a sudden the light just streams in, and the room that was dark is no longer dark, and you cannot sleep because it is not dark. And it's annoying, it's frustrating, you can't get back to sleep, because that, that light, that small gap in the curtains that's just let the smallest bit of light in, has just eradicated all darkness. Well, this is the reality of God who is light. That in God... There is no darkness. This would have been known to the Christian communities uh, that John is writing to. Consider the following that, that come from John's Gospel account. The first of which is in the first chapter where John is speaking about the existence of God before the universe was created. It says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. That's in John 1 verse 4. And later on in John... Uh, Jesus is speaking, this is chapter 8, 
Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then later in chapter 9, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And again, later in chapter 12, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So it's not a new concept for these people to know that God is light, which is to say that God, as light, is the essence and source of holiness, righteousness, goodness and truth. This is what it means to say that God is light. And the antithesis or the opposite of this, of the light, which is God, is darkness, consisting of all that is unholy, unrighteous, evil or false. Therefore, if God is light, then there cannot be any darkness in him. And so the default position is light. Consider this. In the creation in Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything, the animals, and then he created humanity. And he looked back, and verse 31 of Genesis 1 says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. The default position was light. It was goodness. And so we were once, by we I mean humanity, Adam and Eve were once living in the light. And this statement of God is light is the truth that John will refer to time and time again in this passage and throughout uh, this letter, that God is light. And as the passage goes on, we will see that Christians are encouraged to walk in the light. What does it mean to walk in the light? We'll unpack this a little further, but to you know, perhaps quench your thirst a little bit. To walk in the light is to, to practice the truth, to keep God's commands, to rid oneself of darkness. We looked at what darkness is a moment ago. To confess our sins, to seek righteousness, to pursue holy living. And so with this statement of God is light, John now begins to address three false teachings that had developed uh, in the time and had been thrown around in the community. And these three false teachings were the cause of the breakaway group that we spoke about earlier. Verses 6 and 7 address the false teaching that one can fellowship with God and yet walk in darkness. What is it to fellowship with God? I think it's, it's probably a good idea to unpack this before we look at the reality of, of fellowship and, and darkness. Well, fellowship, the, the, the word that John writes in Greek is koinonia, that, that means fellowship. And when we, re, when we really look at this, this word and unpack it, we see that uh, it means to participate or to share in, uh, to even contribute in. Uh, the relationship uh, with God. And, and as we look at this, we see that this is not only between us and God, but between our brothers and sisters. So we contribute to the whole. We share in uh, the relationship. So therefore, the message about Jesus brings the hearer 
into a real relationship with Jesus and with the Father and into participation with God's love and God's life. And so this false teaching of, of being in the darkness and having fellowship with God is simply not acceptable. One cannot be in darkness and have fellowship with God. Fellowship with God and a deliberate life of sin are simply incompatible. And as John goes on, suggesting that we can have fellowship with God whilst walking in darkness is an absence of truth. Thus John says later in chapter 2 that one is a liar if they say that they know Jesus but do not follow his commandments. He says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. And so walking in the light is the act of following the truth, the truth that lives within the Christian, that lives within each of us. To follow the commands and examples of Jesus. It's recorded again in John's Gospel, these words of Jesus. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This, in a nutshell, is the commandments of Jesus to love God and to love people with God's love. This is to walk in the light, loving each other with the love of Jesus. And this can be shown in a number of ways and we could unpack a myriad of, of ideas and, and lifestyle choices and behaviours that um, you know, would be personal and particular and individual to each of us which I don't think would necessarily be helpful for us as a group. But we can, we can look at, at, at the, the specifics of what it means to love people, but as a principle, this is the command of Jesus, to love one another. And we are therefore together a beacon of God's light in this world when we love one another. People will see that. People will see the light of God in us and through us. Naturally, the Christian asks the question, how can I have fellowship with God when I look at my own life of sin? How can I have fellowship with God when I look back and see the ways that I've failed to love God and to love people around me? Fellowship with God, despite the sin of the Christian, is found by walking in the light. And when I look at the number of times I have failed, even with the best of intentions, at loving God and loving people, to have fellowship with God requires that we have a right relationship with Him. Only then can we enter 
into the presence of God. And only then can we enter into and participate in fellowship with God. And so walking in the light brings fellowship with God and fellowship with other Christians also. When a child of God walks in the light and participates in the fellowship with the God of the light and all the other children of God are walking in the light and participating in fellowship with the God of light, then naturally, like one big happy family, the children of God all participate in fellowship with each other. I'm sure it's not all that smooth sailing at home with our families or even in the Christian community. But that's the fellowship we have with each other when we're in fellowship with the Father. So all of us who are in Christ have the privilege of being in the throne room of God together and participating in life together And it's by this logic we see that this group of people that broke away from the Christian community, from the church in this time when John is writing, those who have broken away have shown that they do not have fellowship with God for they have rejected this fellowship and they do not have fellowship either with the children of God. This fellowship is only available because of the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. It is only with forgiveness and redemption that we can be in this fellowship. This is what gives us that right relationship with God. This is what gives us the ability to enter his throne room. Jesus' blood cleanses us from all sin. Cleanses us from all unrighteousness. God pursued his children with such great love that he made provision for his children, provision for us to enter into fellowship with him. And thus, Jesus' death, Jesus' blood for us. Verses 8 and 9 address the false teaching that humanity can be sinless. We know that this was only possible for Jesus. He's the only sinless man to have walked this earth. And so we're only deceiving ourselves if we think that we are without sin. In John's Gospel, he records of an event in chapter 8, Uh, where a woman had been brought before the people having been caught in adultery. And the Pharisees wanted to stone her for this, put her to death for this in accordance with the Jewish law. And so the people have gathered, the woman has been thrown before them and Jesus is put in the spotlight and and given the responsibility of making an example, giving an example for what the people should do. And as they, it reads, as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. 
Now, instantly, we're, we're drawn to focusing on, on the woman in this story, but that's not what I want us to focus on right now, today. I want us to focus on Jesus' words, you who has no sin, throw the first stone. And as the story goes on, slowly the people dispersed as they each knew in their hearts that they were sinful. Through this, Jesus shows us that humanity is not without sin. And so when one confesses their sins, they are acknowledging that they are sinful and they are showing that the truth, that is Jesus, dwells within them. Because it is through Jesus' indwelling in our hearts that we can see our sinfulness. and We can see that this isn't the life that God has called us to. This is part of the fellowship that we share in God and with the community of believers that are around us. To confess our sins to God and our brothers and sisters to encourage and edify each other and to realise the greatness of the forgiveness that God has to offer. It is great. The forgiveness that God has to offer is big enough for all of us. And it says he is faithful. The first question I ask when I read this is, what is Jesus faithful to? What promise is he faithful to? It doesn't say in this particular passage. But when we look at all of Scripture, and we look at Jewish history, we see that God was faithful to the promises and agreements that he made, to the covenants that he made, whether it was land or descendants or uh, his word through the prophets. He was faithful. These things were fulfilled, as he had said. And so God forgives us of our sins, not because of our confession, but because he is faithful and just. And this is cause for celebration, that we can have fellowship with such a God who is faithful to forgive us because of his righteousness, because of his faithfulness, because he is a just God. And moving into verse 10, where John addresses the false teaching that one does not or has not or even may be incapable of sinning. This is similar to verse 8, but it is distinct. Where verse 8 was about sinlessness uh, with a reference to the condition of humanity post uh, the fall of humanity in Genesis, verse 10 is speaking about the inability to actively sin today, which of course uh, is a false teaching. This claim, as John writes, suggests that God is a liar. God has shown us our sinful nature and his word dwells within us to show us each day what is right and what is sin and the difference between these things so that as we go about our life each day we might ponder our decisions and think on you know, what, what is 
good and godly and what is right and what is sin. So these claims that have been made by false teachers have centred around lies. In verse 6 it says, it shows that they are lying to others. In verse 8 it says they are lying to themselves or deceiving themselves. And in verse 10 it says that they are making God out to be a liar. And parallel to this, John says that this is an absence of the truth. They do not practice the truth in verse 6. The truth is not in them in verse 8 and the word is not in them in verse uh, 10. And so these verses, 6 to 10, speak of three false teachings of the time in which we can relate to today. How many times have we sought fellowship with God but neglected or perhaps even tried to hide from God an area of sin in our lives? How often does the culture that we live in tell us that we are good people, that we deserve nice things? I was watching TV the other day and, and you know, an, an ad came on and um, you know, trying to sell something and the punchline, that the pitch was that you deserve this. Well, when we, we look at Scripture and we, we look at our lives, look at our actions, all that we deserve is death. All that our sinful nature and that our actions deserve is death. And so similarly to the people of the day, John shows us who is lying and to whom is being lied to. You know, we lie to others. We lie to ourselves. We make God out to be a liar in these things. And so John encourages and urges us to rid ourselves of these teachings or these, these understandings or perspectives. Last week, John Harris talked uh, a little bit about why theological clarity is, is critical in churches and in our church. And in, in line with this, in thinking of this as a principle, let's flesh out what these teach, false teachings are doing that we've looked at. They demolish the purpose of the gospel. The gospel message is this, that Jesus came as a God, as a man, to suffer and die in our place for our sin. And he then rose from the dead and was glorified in heaven. To suggest that one is sinless is to reject and oppose the gospel message. If one is sinless, then there is no need for this gospel. That is to say to God, sorry mate, like, we don't need what you have to give. We've got this. Like, I'll take care of it. It's like 
a child at, at Christmas or on their birthday that after unwrapping a gift goes and says, and I am guilty of this as a child, goes and says, I don't like this or I don't think I need this. You know, the child perhaps doesn't understand the gift or what they've actually said or what's gone on, but that's crushing to the person who gave the gift. And this is what we do to God on a daily basis when we live in our state of darkness. You know, we, we say we don't need you, God, we don't need this gospel, but that crushes him. It saddens him. And in this, we say that the events of Easter were a joke, that the suffering of Jesus was a joke, that the apostles and the members of the early church were martyred for nothing, that the Christians throughout the ages that have been persecuted for the sake of the gospel have died in vain. Is this the message that we want our lives to send? Is this the message that we want people to to see when they look at us? Or do we want people to see that we have a good God, that God has provided a way for us to be redeemed, to be forgiven, to be in fellowship with him? Is this perhaps rather the message we want? Because this is the message that Jesus died for, the apostles died for, the Christians throughout the ages, as I said, were persecuted for. How can we, how can we neglect this message knowing that people have died for this? We can't. John is is clear in exposing these false teachers, in unveiling and bringing forth the truth, that we might know the truth, that we might base our lives on the truth. Following verse 10 and moving into the second chapter, verses 1 and 2 give comfort to Christians who struggle in their pursuit of the light, in their pursuit of walking in the light. Read with me. My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world. My little children, John is is looking upon these people. He's looking upon them as a father does his children, as one who cares dearly for his children. We can see the tenderness and the intimacy in their relationship by the way that John writes. He 
He wants them to know the truth. The true children of God are those who know the truth about Jesus, that God is light and that this light gives us a place in the kingdom of God. And we can be encouraged by what John has written because he reassures us that God loves his children. John wants us and wanted the church then to have and to maintain a worldview where sin is alien to the life of the Christian. Where sin ought to be prevented and ought not to be condoned. He acknowledges the distress of the Christian when one sees the sin in their life and he seeks to assure us and assure this church of the forgiveness that is in Christ. So that when the inevitable strikes, when we fall, when we find ourselves living in sin once again, that Jesus mediates with the Father on our behalf. And this is only possible because Jesus is righteous. This righteousness enabled him to come to the Father in our place. And so the Father says to you, says to us, through what John writes, my little children, I give you this truth and this light so that you may not sin. But when you do sin, Jesus, my son, has taken your punishment. He's died your death and brings you back into fellowship with us. This is the very truth that John wants us to know. And it is around this truth that we should build our lives. As we seek to pursue life in the light, as we remember the command of Jesus, as we hear these words of Jesus and apply them to our lives, we walk in the light, we walk in fellowship with Jesus, with the Father. And in a moment, we will remember this cost that Jesus gave freely for our salvation through communion. And if you are a Christian, we invite you to remember with us, remember that Jesus gave his body Remember that the blood that Jesus shed was for our salvation, was to cleanse us from our sin, from our unrighteousness. And if you're not yet Christian, I would love to invite you to think and to ponder, to consider this God of light, who he is, the fellowship that he offers. Please 
if, if this is you, like feel free to, to tap someone on the shoulder, to start a conversation, to even to pray, to ask God that he, he would reveal himself to you, that you too might enter this fellowship. Before we do this, let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that you have provided and made a way for us to return to fellowship with you. We thank you through Jesus' death and resurrection that we can come and and fellowship with you. We pray that as we return to our jobs or return to our families, that we can carry with us the light and the truth of you. That when we are faced with with ideas or concepts that perhaps elevate us to to places uh, that that we really aren't, places where we deserve things, places where we deserve this life. Convict us, Lord. Remind us that we only have what we have. We only have this fellowship because you have given it to us. You have forgiven us and redeemed us, Lord as we go from this place. Encourage us to shine your light in our communities. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.